0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So today we're going to continue, it's week three of our series that we are in called Catch You on the Flip Side," and this series is all about death and the afterlife. And uh, as with any part of this topic, death and the afterlife, there are lots of questions regarding what this is, what it looks like, what we can expect. There are a lot of questions that cannot be answered because we won't know until we experience it. But here's why we are talking about this topic. The main idea, the main thrust behind this series is this. What you believe about death will affect your actions in life. What you believe about death and the afterlife will affect your actions in this life, your decisions in this life. How you think about and live this life is affected by how you think about death and the life that is yet to come. Last week we talked about hell. If you missed it, it was a, it was a good discussion, I thought, on the topic of hell. And so if you missed it, you can watch it online. But today we're going to get to the positive side of that, the afterlife. We're going to talk about paradise. Now I have some images here that you may think about when you hear the word paradise. Uh, maybe this is the one that immediately pops into your brain when I say paradise. You think, oh yeah, sandy beaches and palm trees, baby. Uh, but, or maybe you're a mountain man or a mountain woman, and so maybe mountains are your thing. We have a picture of that too. so Maybe this is paradise for you. Like, you know, the beach, it's hot and it's gross and I sweat. No, this, this is paradise. Or maybe you get deeper into the mountains, into the trees, and you're like, okay, it's paradise if I have a cabin in those woods, and that's paradise to me. Or maybe it's just majestic scenery like the Grand Canyon. You're like, okay, if I could put a cabin there and see that every morning, that would be paradise to me. Or maybe, especially on kind of a gray, dreary day like today, maybe this next picture is your idea of paradise. Maybe that's where you wish you were right now. Thank you for being here today, getting out of that for a few minutes. You can jump back in when we're done. No one's going to judge you. It's gross and nasty and cold outside. Seems like a perfect place to spend your Sunday afternoon. Or if you're maybe like me, this last picture would be your idea of paradise. Rows and rows of books and libraries and bookstores. Like I can, I can seriously go to Barnes and Noble and just go there like all the time. I just was there last week, but I went again for two hours because it's so much fun. This is paradise, especially these old books. I love the smell of old books. I love the feel of old books. I like to look at them and see how they're put together, and then see what's inside of them and read them. And so th- this would be maybe the closest thing to paradise to me. But in this specific discussion for this series, we're going to talk about heaven as paradise, the ultimate uh, idea, the ultimate paradise that exists. And with this topic, maybe you know more about heaven than you did about hell, or maybe you feel like you have a pretty good grasp of what it's going to be like or what to expect. But there are still some questions that we might have, or some misconceptions about heaven that we might have, or that you've heard. So maybe some of the things that we'll talk about today you've wrestled with before, but maybe you're like, okay, I get that, but you maybe hear these, or I've heard these. And so how we're going to treat the topic. So last week we talked about the truth about hell. We're going to flip that today and talk about three myths about heaven we're going to look at today as we look at heaven. Three myths about heaven. Now, some of these may be common to Christians. Even though you hope to go there, plan to go there, you may still, some of this may resonate with you. Or if someone is here or watching and you're not a Christian, maybe these are some barriers that you might have had or do have about heaven. It may not seem that great to you. I don't know what the big deal is about. Like, I'd rather go to the beach. I don't understand what the cloud thing and the, you know, all that stuff is about. So we're going to try to get through three myths about heaven and see if we can maybe work through those and debunk them, if you will. So let's get right into it. First myth about heaven is maybe the most common, no matter if you're a Christian or not, and that is this. Heaven is a long way off, so let's just live for today. It's a, com- it's a myth. This is a common uh, thought that we have, and the truth is we all live in this tension. We all live in a tension between you know, the, what we call the already and the not yet. So much that it's happened in the Bible has already happened, but there's still some things near the end that are not yet, have not yet happened. And so we live in the middle of that. And understandably, it can be very difficult for physical beings to have a spiritual mindset. It just is. Right. It seems. It does seem like heaven is a real, is really far away. Maybe spatially, you know, it's so many. Who knows where it is or how far, or how long it take to get there, and it seems almost in a, in time like, okay, that's way out there. I've got a life to live now. I've got bills to pay now. I've got hobbies I'm interested in now. I've got a family to raise now. I've got things that are important to me here and now. And so I'm gonna. Yeah, that's okay. But I'm. We, we can get so. Uh, with blind, live with blinders on that we don't see. We we believe this myth that heaven is so far and so far away and so far off that we live maybe too much in the moment or for the moment. But Jesus knew that this would be a temptation for us. And so really the final prayer he ever prayed in John 17, he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane right before he's going to be handed over to be crucified the next morning. And he prays for that very thing. For not only his followers, as we'll see, but for us who would follow him thousands of years later to do our best as physical beings to still have this spiritual mindset. So here's what he says. John 17, uh, starting at verse 14. Jesus prays this. I've given them your word and the world hates them. Why? Because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Here he says it again. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So from this prayer and this specific part of this prayer, we get this idea that as Christians, we are in but not of the world. Maybe you've heard that statement before. That, this is where that comes from. We are in but not of the world. Because sometimes with this myth, heaven is a long way off, sometimes we err too much on the other side. And we're tempted to, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, get all these cans of food and live in a bunker and just wait for Jesus. Okay? I'm gonna hunker down and just wait for the trumpet to sound, and we we push off society completely or too much. We resist the culture completely or too much. We think only about what is to come. And a famous phrase that comes from that is, some, if we live that way and think that way and believe that, we become too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. We become too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. Jesus even says in this prayer, Father, I don't want you to take them out of this world. I'm calling them to live in this world, but they are not of this world. World, So yes, you have a life to live here and now. You have responsibilities here and now. And we should enjoy life. Okay, so that beach scene that we saw, it's great to go vacation. That's not what we're talking about. We're not saying you shove off everything about this small existence, this short finite existence. No, Uh, 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul writes, God made everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so in, if we do it in the right way, we can enjoy everything about this finite existence, vacations, possessions, fun, leisure, rest, all those things. Th- those things are not bad, but we—it's with most things, almost everything, there's a balance to it. If I, err, if I think, which we're tempted to more often, I think, as humans, to worry about those things way too much and hold on them way too tightly, uh, that's not good. However, if we try to hunker in the bunker, you know, with our, with our shotgun shells and our canned goods and wait for Jesus to come back and we're going to kill the devil, that kind of thing, it's like, what are you doing? You're wasting your opportunity here to make a difference here to get others prepared for that moment that we're waiting for. We should engage with people and the culture to try to effect positive change. So there is this balance. So we have to remember that our final destination should give us true purpose in this life and in this existence. But Paul frames it this way. He uses this phrase that I love, Philippians 3.20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Another famous phrase that you may be familiar with, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. So, he says, you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven. You do not have dual citizenship. You're not a citizen of earth and heaven. No. On this dirt clod called earth, you are but a pilgrim passing through toward where you are a citizen. Okay? You're trying to get to the wall, to climb the wall and go through border patrol to get to your final destination, if I can use a very hot-button topic in a very non-threatening way. That's who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus, we get so caught up with here, though, no, here and now, and this, and what I can see. So let me give you just this this idea. I want to encourage us to live in the moment, but not live for the moment. Live in today, but not for today today because it's it's not that's not the point let me give you a simple illustration here um i have this rope here okay and this rope i'm gonna try to be careful this rope represents eternity okay So there's no end. You can't see the end of this rope. It goes on forever on both sides. So time is a thing that God made for us to survive on this planet to live and and do our stuff, right? But time is not a real thing. It's a thing that God made for us on this while we're here on Earth. But it's so here's here's this thing. This is eternity past and eternity future. Okay. This part in the middle here is all of human existence. Not just your life, no, 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 like Adam and Eve start here, however many more thousands or millions or billions of human life years are left, it ends here. I don't know where we are on this. We could be way here at the end. We could be just getting started. We have no idea. But as an idea, to give you this idea, um, you're some little tiny speck in this little bitty you know, two, three inch piece of of black tape on on this rope. So, here's the thing. How how often do you worry about so many things that are you can't even find on this piece of tape? How much do you invest in this little Oh, wait, let me zoom in. Oh, there you are. You're right there. I found you, you know? Like how how much do we do we think about this and not about this? Right? That that's what Paul's saying. You're not a citizen of this. You don't belong here. You're trying to get through here to get to hear. Again, the main idea of this series is what you believe about death and the afterlife affects how you live this life. So if we can have this perspective, right? This is all of human existence. I am somewhere deep down here. I don't know where, but I, And it's kind of sad to say that, but once you're gone, you're remembered for a while and then you're forgotten really quickly, Right? Just kind of a little heart check, gut check thing. Like your family will remember you, you know, and, but then when enough generations have passed, you're, you're nothing, you're no one. Even, like you have to re- literally change the world to even be in a book where people read about you later on. And even then, there are very few of those. And even what they do ultimately in this part doesn't really matter very much. Uh, it's really about our, our core belief system while we're here and how that impacts people for this part of time. I hope that, I hope that makes sense, right? I'm not trying to say that you don't matter, okay, you matter to God, but you matter not because of this, but because of this. Because he didn't make you for this, he made you for this. He does, you know, he wants to have a relationship with you here, but the goal is to. it's kind of like practice for a relationship here that never, ever, ever, ever ends. That's the whole point is that we are citizens of heaven if we're a believer in Jesus. And if we're not, we still have to face this. We talked about that last week. Wh- what, whatever you believe here is going to affect where you go on this part of that string. And so uh, just a simple sort of, I just wanted to play with string today, and so I found an excuse to play with string during church. I just wanted to have a little fun. So, um, but how much do you worry about that little blip? How much do you invest in that little blip? How much more importance do you put in that little blip, that little tiny dot, in that little three-inch thing, more than we think about what is to come, eternity, future? It's just something to think about. Jesus tells us to set our mind on things above. Things here are going to fade. They're going to burn. They're going to turn to ash. It's going to be meaningless in the grand scheme of eternity, future. So we need to set our mind on things above that will not be destroyed, that will not rust, that will not decay our present perceived reality is nothing compared to our ultimate future reality. Let me say that one more time. Our present perceived reality, this, this life, is nothing compared to our ultimate future reality. And in many ways, present reality. We're just not there yet, but our future home it exists. So you may live in today, but please don't live for today. So that, that's the first myth. Heaven is not far off. Heaven is not super distant. It is right there, and it lasts forever. So let's think about that in how we live this life. The second myth about heaven, maybe you've thought this or heard this, heaven will be boring. You know, like... I, Go to the, I can go to the bookstore and be there for hours and just enthralled or whatever, but, you know, heaven it's just like, you know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on Easter. Some people have this idea that in, in heaven we're all going to be like sitting on clouds playing harps in our diapers, <laughs> you know. It's like, no, you don't turn into an angel when you die and go to heaven. You're, you're still you, you know, it's your soul. You don't transport into a different creature. Uh, although, I'm, I'm going to try to work on my bods in case the diaper thing, is true. I'm gonna work a chisel in my bod. We'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, though, I won't have to do that. Or some people think heaven's just gonna be like going to church all the time. And who wants? To, I mean, it's fine once a week for an hour or so. But who wants to do that forever and ever and ever? Like you can only sing so many hymns, so many times, and you're like, okay, I get it. I love God. I just, uh, uh, yeah. I needed a break. I need a timeout. Like we would think that's gonna be just boring church service. Now, first of all, they haven't been to our church because it's not boring. Okay, I don't know how to take that silence, but no, no, it's okay. But it's just not, it's just not true. Heaven is not going to be boring. Paul says it in in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we've talked about paradise at the beginning. Whatever picture you think about paradise, whether it's a beach or the mountains or a cabin or a bookstore or or your bed or whatever, Whatever that is, times infinity, heaven is going to be so much better than that. Whatever experience you've had on this earth that you just treasure, that you think about and you replay over and over, maybe it is a vacation or a family outing or just this moment in time that you think, oh, that's as good as it's going to get. Heaven is going to be exponentially greater and more enjoyable than that. Paul says you can't begin to imagine what it's going to be like. But scripture does give us a few glimpses, a few ideas of what this amazing place called heaven will be like. And I just want to give you a few kind of bullet point things here. I want to read two two scriptures and then we'll talk about each of them and look at how heaven is not going to be boring. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a place we want to be. The first one is 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. Paul says, so he's talking about how a seed is planted in the ground, and it it springs forth into new life. So he says this, It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. So here's one perk, maybe the greatest of all, maybe, maybe, of heaven. We're going to have perfect bodies, right? Sign me up. I declare Jesus is Lord. Give me my perfect body, you know, like that. I will go to heaven just for that right there. Let me give you some stats on how we try to do that here, and we work so hard for so long. It's been so much money, but in heaven, it's just going to be reality. In America, each year, Americans on gym memberships spend almost $35 billion a year on gym memberships and fees and personal trainers. It's not wrong to work out it's good stewardship to take care of our bodies that's great but guess what In your in heaven you can save your money you don't have it's like the gyms open all the time you just walk in and you're like oh i don't need to be here i'm out you know maybe unless gym is your paradise which oh gross you know like maybe you're maybe you're gonna go to hell because you feel i don't know no uh but maybe the gym like uh, you know working out just does something to me maybe maybe that'll be a thing in heaven i don't know i'm not gonna ever go there Uh, but maybe if that's your thing, it'll be there. But in heaven, we don't have to. We were going to have the perfect, but we don't have to spend billions of dollars on that. Uh, Also in America, uh, on vitamins and supplements and dietary things, Americans spend $12 billion a year on those things. Again, those aren't bad, but we're spending money and taking time to do these things to take care of our bodies. But in heaven, it's just like automatic. Boom, done. It's taken care of. Uh, Total U.S. healthcare spending in 2019. Are you ready for this number? $3.8 $3.8 trillion. So, not, not to get political, but I am for a second. If you want to know why we can't have government-run health care, it's because we don't have $4 trillion a year <laughs> to do that. End of rant. So, if you disagree with me, uh, my email address, steven at firstcenturykc.com. Here's the deal, though. There are no doctor's visits in heaven. No copays in heaven. No hospitals no emergency rooms, no insurance or insurance companies. Thank you, Jesus, okay? None of that is there because we are raised in glory, Paul says. We are raised in strength. It's a spiritual body. Now, it is some form of a body. Jesus rose from the dead with a body, and he was recognizable in that body. They knew who he was, but it was a different sort of body. Paul says we will experience the same thing. How will that work? When does that timeline look like? We don't quite know. We can put together some ideas, and I won't get into it today. Maybe in the next couple weeks I will, so we'll see. Come back for that. So, so far, heaven sounds pretty great, right? Let me give you a few other things uh, from Revelation that I'll just add to this list, that heaven's not going to be boring, okay? Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, John, as the at the end of his vision, his revelation of Jesus, he says this, "'Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone, and I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband.' I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne, God says this, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Jesus, in this vision, write this down. This is going to be important, John. Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. Several things here I want to get through pretty quickly. Heaven is not going to be boring because there is no sadness in heaven. John says it here. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more crying, no more worrying, no more stressing out. There's nothing left to stress about. There's nothing to worry about anymore in this paradise called heaven. No more pain. So no more physical pain. No more back pain, Stephen. No more kidney stones, Stephen. You know, no, whatever issues you dealt with. No, no arthritis, right? No, like whatever parts you've had replaced to function, guess what? That's not going to be a thing you're going to have to worry about anymore, okay? Uh, also with that, no mental pain. Like, we have an epidemic in our, in our country, in the world, mental disorder, mental disease. That is not a thing in this paradise. It is gone. It is no more. No more emotional pain. Think about that. How much emotional trauma have you suffered in your life? That will be a distant memory from a distant past in this paradise. No more pain. In heaven there is no lack. He says, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And one of the first events mentioned, this is Revelation 19, it's this uh, thing called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So there's going to be feasting in heaven, but no gym required, okay? So I guess no calories, which again, I just have a hard time getting over that one, guys, okay? Um, Feasting, food, like so we talked last week, one myth about hell is it's going to be a huge party. No, it's going to be torturous and never-ending. You do not want to go there. Heaven is the place where the party's at. So if you want to check, check the box for party, you want to make sure to hit the elevator button up and not down when you die. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Heaven is going to be a place of fun. It's not going to be boring. As you read later on in Revelation 21, it also talks about heaven as a place of ultimate beauty. So Revelation 21, 15 through 21, I won't read it for the sake of time, but it lists things like, and you've heard this before, gates made of pearl. And even the way that, even the way that it defines it, it almost, it says it's made out of a single pearl, which I, it's weird to imagine that. It's almost, so there's a huge pearl and they cut the thing out to make a gate. How does that work? I don't know how it works, but I, I can't even begin to imagine what that will look like. It lists precious stones just everywhere. Just everywhere, just laying around like, oh yeah, Why? because God has no lack, and so in heaven there is no lack. It talks about, you probably heard this, you know, the streets are paved with gold, but it's not just that they're gold, it's that they're also translucent. You can see through them. Again, I don't, I don't know what kind of infrastructure plan they passed in heaven recently, but that's what John sees, translucent gold streets. Like the best of the best. There's ultimate beauty and no lack in this paradise called heaven. And really, I think the best part here that we see in Revelation 21 is heaven is a place of God's presence. So in the verses that we just read, God says, I'll make my home among my people. I will live with them. John says God himself will be with them them that is something that we cannot begin to comprehend because there is a distance right between us and god now we can sense his presence and he the holy spirit is with us but not to the degree that it will be in the paradise of heaven that is yet to come in all of human history there has always been some sort of distance between humans and their creator but the creation and their creator so even you think about someone like abraham a man of great faith who knew god well Basically, to Abraham, all God was was a mystical voice in his head, giving him random instructions like, leave your home and go to this place that I will show you. That's what God was to him. That's all that he was able to experience from God. Hey, go sacrifice your son. I'll provide, but you have to go do it. Like, that's all that God was to a man like Abraham, this huge distance, this huge gap between us and God. Even a man like Moses, there was great distance, and he was probably the closest to get to God's presence than anyone who ever lived. Yet, at the beginning, God was similar like he was to Abraham. He's just a voice in this bush, giving me random instructions. And then later on, he's thunder and lightning on top of this mountain. There's distance, there's fear, there's awe there, there's a, there's separation. And even as it says, Moses was able to go into the tent of meeting at certain times and speak to God, God would come down in the form of a cloud in this tent and talk with Moses as a friend would talk to his friend face to face. But even Moses had to veil his face and when he had this experience up on the mountain and in this tent, his hair turned white and his face glowed like the sun and he had to kind of hide away till this glory distance because the people couldn't handle it there's always been this distance even in worship in the temple there's this little tiny room in the very back of the temple called the holy of holies and there's the ark of the covenant there and so that's where god's presence would come and dwell in this little room on this little box and in this room you couldn't just go in and out like we come in and out to church whenever we want we we don't it's like there's one day a year when one person can go into this room on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest and the high priest only and only if he's complete. He has to do like this washing ceremony that is ridiculous, like washing himself several times physically and hopefully internally. He's also clean and worthy to enter in because if not, he drops dead, okay? Uh, So there's been, that's that's how close people got to God. One guy, one day a year, if he's pretty much nearly perfect, can go into God's presence. That's as close as we got. And then Jesus comes, God in flesh, to live on this earth among us. We get a little bit closer to God's presence. And you would say, well, that's fine and dandy for people in the the early first century, but I didn't live there. So Jesus is this guy I read about in a book, and I believe in him, and I love him, and I worship him, but there's still quite a bit of distance. And so God sent the Holy Spirit, and that's great, but, I mean, there's still limitations to our experience with God here and now. There is this distance between us and God. But in heaven, in this paradise, there is no distance. God lives with us. We live with him. He lives among us. He stays among us. He he is there in all his glory and all his splendor. And because we've been risen with these new spiritual bodies, we can actually handle that. That's part of the key to this spiritual body thing. This body can't handle like one one millionth of God's presence or I'm going to be knocked down dead. But in heaven with this new spiritual body, we'll see him face to face. We'll be in his presence with no barrier, no veil, no curtain, no separation, nothing left. So that, to me, doesn't sound too boring. That I can see the one who made everything. I can see the one who existed before anything existed. I can see the one who made a plan of salvation for me, and I can worship him for eternity. So heaven's not going to be boring. It's going to be an awesome place. Here's the third myth that we'll talk about, and it's actually a two-for-one. It's two sides of the same coin here. The third myth about heaven that we'll talk about for a couple minutes is this. Either we think heaven is too easy to get into or we think it's too hard to get into, one or the other. So let's talk about the too easy one first. You know, people will say, well, most people are going to go to heaven, right? Good people are going to go to heaven, right? Uh, And I would say, no, no, that's too easy. And people would say, well, I'm a good person, you know, I'm a good citizen, I'm a good neighbor, you know, I pay my taxes, and I even go to church sometimes, and I've read the Bible, and you know, whatever, and so I'm in, right, I I make the list, I'm in the book you talked about a couple weeks ago. Well, let me just read something to you that might burst that bubble just just for a second, we think it's maybe too easy to get into heaven, Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, Paul here is quoting a ton of Old Testament scriptures back back to back to back to back to back to build this case that no, 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 it's not just a good person gets in. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. So for the person who would say, well, I'm a good person, I would say, well, good for you, but that's not enough, right? Apart from a true relationship with God through Jesus, Paul and God just described you. You say, well, I've never committed murder. Doesn't matter. Well, I, I don't curse. Doesn't matter. Well, I don't lie very often. Ah, you're slipping down the slope a little bit there, but still, even that, doesn't matter. So Paul, later on in Romans, says, if we're guilty of one sin, we're guilty of all of them. So, and that seemed very harsh, but we, we talked about God's justice recent last week, Um, And that's part of that. So the problem, and here's the problem with goodness, a good person getting into heaven. By whose standard are you good? By whose standard am I good? We have a sliding scale of goodness. We have a comparative scale. Well, I'm better than them, right? I'm nicer than my neighbor. They're a jerk, well, of course, we, we can play the Hitler game. You know, I'm better than Hitler. Well, whoop de doo Like, what a low bar to cross there. You know, you haven't killed 7 million people. Good on you. Doesn't mean you're getting to heaven, but yeah, good job. You're not a terrorist murderer guy. So we have a sliding scale of goodness. It's comparative, and it's based on whose standard. That, that's, that's the problem. And even some people who would use this would say, well, I'm better than most of the Christians that I know. And I would say, well, okay, but they've made a faith decision and they're working and struggling to live in that decision that you have not made. That is their requirement to get in, right? That's what it is. And I've kind of already given the second part away, but I think we kind of know where I'm going. See, the standard with God is not goodness, it's perfection. And no matter what scale you're on, there's a step between however good you may be or whatever good you may think it, how good is good enough, and perfection. There's a distance there. That, so it's not just that easy. It's no sin, no mistakes, no errors, no blemishes for anyone and everyone to get into heaven. But then that can lead to the other myth. We can jump way too far on the other side and say, well, then it's impossible to get in. Like, who, who can do that? Who, who can meet up with that standard? Who can make the cut? And why even bother? I know I can't do it, so I'm just not even going to try. And by the way, God's pretty cruel to have that standard. Like, God's pretty unfair to have that standard of perfection. It's just too hard to get in there, but it's really not. So we read the first part of Romans, Romans 10 through 18. Let's read the, the second half, Romans 3, 21 through 24. It's not that hard to get into heaven. Paul says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. So it's not about goodness, it's not about rule keeping, That's not what it's about. This was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Here's two important words for your life. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So being a good person is not enough. It's apart from the law. Doing good deeds does not make the cut. Being a good person does not get you into heaven. Because again, how good is good enough? And how bad is too bad? And who decides? That's the problem with that scale. But Paul says simply, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. The problem is all have sinned, but the good news is all can be saved. So I wrote this, I mentioned this to Kim last night, I wrote down these these four lines, just kind of summing up this scripture. And then I looked back at it and realized, I just made a poem. I didn't mean to, but I did. So I'll just read it to you as it's written here. uh, Based on these verses, all are in trouble, all are in need, all can believe, all can be freed. Okay? I know it's really cute, but it's powerful, okay? All are in trouble, all are in need, that's the bad news, good news. All can believe, all can be freed. It's not that hard to get into heaven. It's not impossible. It's not difficult. It's not difficult at all because you don't really have to do a whole lot. Jesus did the heavy lifting for you, right? He did the heavy lifting for me. All I have to do is not good works, not measure up, not work hard. All I have to do is believe. All I have to do is place faith in the one who did the work that was required on my behalf to get me into heaven. It's not that I pay enough or do enough, or it's that I believe. It's not even that I believe enough, it's that I believe that one thing. That's it. So this thing its too hard to get in, it's not. Jesus did the hard part, and we can do the, the easy part, and that is to put our faith in him. He took my place on my cross for my sin. I feel like I say that all the time, but I'm going to say it every week if I have to, because I believe that with all my heart. Jesus took my sin upon him, so that if when I place my faith in his substitutionary sacrifice for me, I now become the righteousness of God. All my sin is gone. All my mistakes are in the distant past. They are forgiven i am free i am made new and now i am that citizen of heaven heaven is going to be amazing i don't know about you but i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to that perfect place where there is peace and joy and beauty and no sadness no sickness none of that god's presence is constantly always there we will so here again let me mention this as we close while we do live in the here and now, don't live for the here and now. While we live in the moment, don't live for the moment. Let's instead live in such a way that this hope that we have becomes everything about us while we engage with culture and people and neighbors and friends and coworkers, let Let our lives, the difference that Christ has made, let it make a difference in the lives of others as well so that they can see the difference Christ can make in their life and they can experience with us one day forever this wonderful, beautiful paradise called heaven.